So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want to open up to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. When I preach a, uh, kind of a consecutive series of messages, something like this, where we're having three days and three messages, I tend to like to have a little bit of continuity to, uh, to the messages. And so um, we're going to be spending our time in portions of, of Habakkuk, and we're going to be thinking over the weekend about what it means to live the life of faith what it means to trust God. Not only that, but really, how do we trust God? You know, if I were to ask tonight how many people here think it would be a good thing to trust God when times get tough, everybody says yes. At least if you know much of anything about Scripture, everybody says yes. But when times get tough... It's not so easy as to say, oh, I know I'm supposed to trust. Yep, here we go. Right? It's not that easy, is it? The life of faith can be a very difficult life. Seeking to trust the Lord and walk with the Lord through some of the darkest seasons of your life are tremendously difficult. And there are times where we can wonder if we're even doing this thing right There's a lot of different reasons for that. The tempter would use our trials to try to convince us that we're a fraud, that we were never real to begin with. There's also a a, a culture in Christianity that would encourage plastic smiles and faking it for the Lord so that nobody thinks that your witness is tarnished. What we find when we come to Scripture is none of that. Um, Habakkuk is not the only place we could go, and as we get into some of these messages, you'll see that. What we find really throughout Scripture, at least throughout the, the overall drama of Scripture, is that God's people face various struggles who, that knock them off their center, and they limp their way through seeking to lay hold of their Lord as they struggle through life. And so, let me give a little bit of background, and I want to try to make this quick. I don't want to get too caught up here, but a little bit of background to kind of introduce the book of Habakkuk. Um, I don't know, maybe you've read this book lately in your Bible reading, or maybe uh, you've heard some preaching on it, but if not... Sometimes Habakkuk can seem like some strange little book that's uh, uh, tucked away in the middle of the minor prophets. I would say, and you know, preachers say this sort of thing when we take the book, but I would say this is one of the most relevant books to where we are today in our nation. Um, Habakkuk is far closer to home than maybe you think if you're saying, what in the world is this guy doing opening up to Habakkuk? You wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe you said it to yourself. Um, so if we think about Israel's history, starting with, with the, the time when David came to the throne, uh, God blessed Israel tremendously under David's rule. And while David was not a perfect king, Israel uh, hit its pinnacle under David and then under Solomon But then you'll remember that after Solomon died, the kingdom split. 
and his two sons split it. You had the north, Israel, the south, Judah. And as far as the northern kingdom went, they hung around for about 19 kings and then were obliterated by Assyria. Judgment came upon them. Uh, They were just rebellious, rebellious, rebellious. They would not have God. And so, again, after 19 kings, they were done. Judah had a little bit better of a track record. They were inconsistent in their allegiance to the Lord. Bad kings, bad kings, bad kings. A pretty good king, bad kings, bad kings. Around Habakkuk's time, he's a couple of kings, probably, a couple of kings after Josiah. So you'll remember Josiah, the eight-year-old king. Everything had just been horrible, and this young man comes to the throne. When he finds the word of God that was lost in the house of God, he begins to make all kinds of reform in Israel. And it looks like, for a little bit that Israel, I'm sorry, Judah is returning to the Lord and that things are getting better. And those who were you know, serious about and, and longing to honor God would have been pretty excited about that. But then Josiah goes to war, he dies. His son comes to the throne, and it looks like he's going to be a good one at first, but he just um, he follows in the steps of the other wicked kings. And so you have here a book that's a little bit different than most of the other prophetic books. So major and minor prophets, what makes a major right is the size, the minor is just smaller, the major or bigger. In most of the prophets, God is sending a word through a man to his people. Right? The word of the Lord came through, fill in the blank. That's not what's happening in Habakkuk. In Habakkuk, a man is bringing his complaint, his burden to God, and you get a little window into a one-on-one conversation. Now, obviously, the rest of the people got to see this and, and, and know what was going on, but when it happened, this is a one-on-one between Habakkuk and between God, and it is initiated here by Habakkuk. So it's a little different than what we would typically think with the, with the prophetic books. I just want to read tonight Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see... O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. This book opens with Habakkuk coming to God in really a complaint, right? a lament. Habakkuk is 
confused. Um, he can't really make sense out of what's going on. I mean, Judah was, they were supposed to be God's special people. They, it seemed like after Israel was wiped out, that maybe Judah would learn their lesson and Judah would walk in righteousness and seek to honor the Lord and please the Lord and, and maybe even that, that God would do some things to orchestrate all that. But you'll notice that Habakkuk really has two questions. Lord, how long is this mess going to go on? And Lord, why is it happening? Two questions here. I want to split this up as far as us thinking about it um, in two different sections. One, we want to look at Habakkuk's crisis here. And then number two, we want to look at Habakkuk's faith. So Habakkuk's crisis, his faith. Uh, we're, we're thinking tonight about trusting God when life doesn't make sense. Okay, trusting God when life doesn't make sense. If you've never had a scenario that you've lived through where things just made absolutely no sense, just wait a little bit. Okay, it'll come. Um, those difficult times that we just have a hard time figuring out, Lord, what are you doing? And why did this have to happen? And how long is this going to go on? And it doesn't have to be a national crisis. So, number one here, Habakkuk's crisis. The first thing we see in this description of what Habakkuk is, 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 is praying and asking about is that injustice in Habakkuk's day is just rampant. How long will we cry out and you won't hear? We cry out unto thee of violence and you will not save. This iniquity that we can't help but see, it's just right in front of our eyes. It goes on and we'll talk a little bit here about the description. But it's just, it's just in injustice, and it is rampant. It is all over the place. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, you know this passage. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I bet you've thought about that passage at least once over the last three or four years. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin, it's a reproach. It's a reproach to any people. Habakkuk's nation had spiraled down into a place of violence and oppression. That's what verse 2 is describing for us. Verse 3 talks about iniquity, which is just wickedness. Okay? Just wickedness, evil. Uh, we're not talking about things that were going on uh, in dark alleys and behind closed doors. Habakkuk says, I see this everywhere I go. It's right in front of my face. How long are you going to force me to, to look at this, to see this? It was wickedness just rampant. Verse 3, there's grievance. Okay, there's a growing weariness over the wickedness and the perverseness in the nation. Habakkuk is tired of seeing this. He's tired of living in a land that has such a reproach because of the rampant sin. 
You find anything in common with Habakkuk yet? There's spoiling that's going on. This is verse 3. The second part there. Spoiling and violence are before me. Okay? That just means violent destruction. We might call that a riot in our day. Okay? Same thing here. There's injustice. People are stirring up controversy. Again, the end of verse 3. There are that raise up strife and contention. Habakkuk says, I'm just grieved. Our nation has just spiraled. And it's not as if it, it would be bad enough if we were to just see the things that are naturally happening. But there are people who are putting fuel to the fire. People who are um, really stirring this up. And I'm tired of seeing it. Well, if we take just a second, we can easily see in our day where national politics and the media are doing this full time, right? We think about over the last three or four years. You know, it would be nice if we could say, I don't care about politics, but the truth is politics is right where you live. Whether you care about it or not, you've got a front row seat as to what's going on in your town and in your life. And so we have political party wars, race wars, gender wars. People have really grown numb to God's Word. I was hearing the other day about a... Oh, yeah, Gavin Newsom was trying to prop up abortion somehow with a Bible reference. People have grown grown numb to God's Word. And because of this, justice is not carried out as much as it should. The wicked surround the righteous in hostility. The power and the influence of the wicked are greater than those who aren't, and that power is used against them. Justice is twisted, right? Criminals can be heralded as heroes. Those who would uphold the law are demonized. This is, at least in Mississippi, I don't know what it's like in Georgia, but, you know, in Mississippi... A human child is less valuable than a baby possum. Aborting a human child is viewed as a legitimate right. Just a quick illustration here. A while back, my mother-in-law found a, um, a dead possum that had little baby possums that were still alive and trying to nurse. And so she took those possums and was trying to figure out what to do. And she called somebody and they said, you better take those possums to the um, animal control center. Uh, if anything happens to those and they don't get the treatment that they need, you'll be fined $200 per possum. Can you believe that? See, this idea of justice is just twisted, isn't it? Now, I don't bring that up just to give you some bizarre stat. I bring that up because these are the laws of our 
at least in the state that I live in. You want an abortion? The government will pay for it if you go to the right spot. You got little baby roadkill? You better take care of it or you're going to pay a hefty fine. Habakkuk says, Lord, how long? How long am I going to have to, to watch this, to see this? The standard of righteousness, we could go on with all kinds of details, but essentially it goes up and down and changes. But the standard of righteousness really in our country is measured by your faithfulness to get behind and support the agenda of people who by all indications God has already given over to a debased mind. Now, we could get into all kinds of specifics about that. And by the way, this is not a political rally here. There's as many morons on one side as the other. Habakkuk is saying, Lord, this has happened, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. You don't seem to be doing anything about it. I pray... I grieve, and nothing changes. You see, the problem that Habakkuk's having is he's, he's having a really difficult time reconciling in his mind what's going on with Judah, with what God has revealed about himself in certain passages of Scripture. So Exodus 34 would be one of those. Look in Exodus 34. You know, sometimes, and this can leave us feeling kind of sheepish sometimes, leave us feeling guilty sometimes, but sometimes there really are tensions that exist between our experience and what we were expecting things to be based on what we thought we understood about Scripture. Exodus 34, verse 6, is where God comes and declares who he is to Moses. Does the Lord pass by before him and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and under the fourth generation. And essentially Habakkuk saying, Lord, I thought you would not clear the guilty. What happened? What happened? Well, if we could fast forward a little bit, what happened is, and we did this too, Habakkuk didn't really understand what it meant for God to be long-suffering, did he? We'll also figure out that he really didn't understand what was going on in the big picture, which is something that we struggle with as well. But this is Habakkuk's crisis. His crisis is that he's living in the one place on the planet that is supposed to be the place where God dwells with his people in a special way. And they look just as bad, if not worse, than a lot of the pagans around them. And he says, God, I have been praying 
I have been watching, I have been praying, I have been watching, and I can't tell that anything's happened. As a matter of fact, it looks like since I've started praying, it may have even gotten worse than it was before. Let's go back and read what he says there again. says, Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment... Proceedeth. That's Habakkuk's complaint there. Now I want to take a, the next part of our time and, and look at Habakkuk's faith. Look at Habakkuk's faith. One of the things that we see in this first section, and one of the things that we have a hard time understanding at times, is that when we take our frustrations when we take our confusions, when we take our struggles, when we take our anxieties to God, that's not an absence of faith. That's an expression of faith. Okay? And many times people are are just, there's a lot of self-condemnation sometimes that comes upon it, but then there are times where people just completely misrepresent this. This is called lament in Scripture. It's, the Psalms are packed full of it. Matter of fact, um, it's not just the Psalms. As you read, you'll find that some of the major figures in Scripture are asking the same kinds of questions that Habakkuk asked, that David asked. Lord, why? How comfortable are you asking God why? Just in case you think I'm trying to oversell my point, guess who else asked why? The spotless Lamb of God asked why. You remember that? Why have you forsaken me? So we see Habakkuk here wrestling through reality. You know, we have different options whenever we face difficulties. And when I say face difficulties, it may be we face the pressures that are in our nation now. It may be personal difficulties, the loss of a loved one. It may be a family struggle. It may be uh, one of a hundred thousand difficulties. And we can do one of two things. We can think that we're being faithful by, by trying to minimize the circumstance. Ah, it's not that bad. Rub a little dirt on it. It'll be okay. Go on. That doesn't last long. Okay, we can't keep that up forever. Rather than trying to minimize our circumstance, Scripture says, and what I want to try to point out today, is that it's far more honoring to Lord rather to the Lord rather than us trying to downplay our circumstance. For us to magnify the Lord and to go to Him needy and helpless and frustrated, 
seeking grace in our time of need because we don't have it all together. We're not trying to pretend like we have it all together. Our faith says, Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I don't understand, but you understand. I don't have the endurance in and of myself, but you can give me the endurance. Lord, it feels like this heart is going to break right out of my chest, but you heal the brokenhearted. And so I'm coming to you. He says, Lord, how long? How long? Look in Psalm 13. Psalm 13. David here says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? could go on in this psalm, but we see here David is asking the same question that Habakkuk is asking. And you know what's implied in this question? The implication is, Lord, if you don't do something soon, I'm not going to make it. How long? How long? You bear up under difficulties. You bear up under trials. And, you know, it's... It's one thing to move forward on day two. It's another thing to keep trying to move forward on year two, and year five, and year 10, and year 20. And, and, and those, those kinds of burdens exist, don't they? How long? How long? Well, as we seek to approach God in faith... As we go through these kinds of difficulties, one of the things that's really almost always true is that God's doing something in us that's not even on our radar. Okay, something we don't even we don't even see, we're not really aware of. But another thing that's also equally true is that when you hurt, God cares. When you hurt, God cares. And what we see in the Psalms and what we see here in Habakkuk chapter 1 and what we see in other places in Scripture is that we are invited to bring our complaints to the Lord. You know that it is a right thing to complain to God, but not to complain about God. You can complain to God. God invites you to do that. You know there's a whole book in the Bible that's titled Complaint, where a man spends five chapters complaining, lamentations, to lament, to bring our complaint to the Lord. Now, again, it's one thing to complain to God. We're not talking about irreverently complaining about God. We're not talking about calling God into account and saying, Lord, if it were me, I would have done it this way and this way and that way, and Lord, you're taking too long. And We're not talking about any sort of irreverence like that. But we are talking about the childlike faith that says, Are we there yet, Lord? Are we there yet? Are we almost done? I need help. I'm hurting. 
I'm weary. I'm unraveling. I need help. Now, in the midst of these kinds of laments, in the midst of these kinds of complaints, some of this we'll have to weave in with some of the other messages from the weekend, God begins to to mold our hearts. He begins to sharpen our questions a little bit. And He begins to give us the strength to move forward one step at a time, one day at a time. And we begin to see the beauty of what it really means to live as a child in the arms of our Father. Now, the reality is, brothers and sisters, and we, nobody's going to stand up and say this, but if we had our preference, we would not live by faith. It's hard. We would choose living by sight every time because it's, it's there. It's easier to put our confidence in. It's easier for us to have surety. Now, we could illustrate this in a couple of different ways. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many control freaks do we have in the room? Hands down, hands down. Okay. Whether you admit it or not, it's all of us. Okay. There may be some things that you just don't care about that you don't try to control, but the things you care about, you try to control. Okay. And, and, and that's an evidence, really, that we do not like living by faith, if we can help it. But the truth that we're faced with when we come to Scripture is, you can't help it. You're going to have to live by faith. You're going to get knocked off center. You're going to have to seek God, and you're going to have to um, uh, walk with Him through difficulties to make sense out of what's going on. So here's the question. Habakkuk begins asking, Lord, how long? How long? You know what's ironic about this question? What's ironic about this question is that God had been asking his people this question a long time before Habakkuk started asking the question. Look in Exodus chapter 16. Now I'm just picking the verse out. So we're not doing any contextual work here, but you'll see. Exodus chapter 16, verse 28. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? Now what's Habakkuk asking? Hundreds of years later. Lord, how long are you going to allow your people not to keep your commandments and not to keep your laws? In a real sense, God could say, That's a good question, Habakkuk. I've been asking that for a long time. Look in Numbers 14. Numbers 14. The people here in unbelief refuse to take the land that the Lord had given them because of fear. And in Numbers 14, verse 11, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? 
God says, what, what else could I do? How long will they harden their hearts? How long will they refuse to believe and obey? Then we jump over to Habakkuk and we find that Habakkuk's asking, Lord, how long? How long? Now, if we're not careful, we'll misunderstand what's happening here. The point of this is not to say that God comes back with the attitude of, I don't want to hear it, Habakkuk. You know, I've been saying the same thing for hundreds of years, and nothing has changed, so you just deal with it. Yeah, you just deal with it, Habakkuk. I don't want to hear it. You're asking the same thing I've been asking. But God's not like us, is he? Now, we can get that way with our kids sometimes, can't we? We told you that was going to happen. But God's not that way. Look in Isaiah 63. God tells us just exactly what his disposition is toward us when we suffer. We don't have to guess. And this is what God's disposition was toward his people then when they suffered. In Isaiah 63, verse 7, it says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which He has bestowed on them according to to His mercies and according to the multitude of His loving kindness. For He saith, Surely they are My people, children that will not lie. So He was their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bare them, and carried them all the days of old. The New Testament takes this really thematically in Hebrews chapter 4 and talks about Christ who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And so when Habakkuk comes to God and says, Lord, how long, how long? We misunderstand if we think that since God had been asking that question for a while, that God is tapping his foot and saying, I'm glad somebody's finally asking the same question I've been asking in a way that is dismissive. What's happening in Habakkuk, at least in the beginning of chapter 1, is that the circumstances that the Lord has placed Habakkuk in has begun to produce in him a heart that is grieving over the same things that God has been grieving over for years. You see, Habakkuk's heart in this prayer is coming in alignment with God's heart. And it doesn't feel good, but it is good. And Habakkuk is saying... Lord, how long could you please cut this short? And God's saying, no, Habakkuk, it feels bad right now. But what's happening is you in this godless culture, surrounded by wickedness that you can't stand, I'm using this to make you more like me. I'm using this to conform your heart more and, 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 and put it more in alignment with my heart. 
so that you begin to love the things that I'm loving, so that you're grieving over the things that I'm grieving. So you can see just from this point, there's another point to make here, but just from this point, when we think about bringing our complaints to God, what must God think? Well, when we start to complain and grieve over the things that God grieves over, I would submit that God rejoices. When you can go from being at home in the world and finding your comforts in the world to, Lord, i got to get out of here. That, I, I can't stand this. Then God is working in a way that we might not detect at first. But He's working in a way that's leading us closer and closer to our ultimate destination, which is conformity to Jesus Christ. So the question, how long? How long? Well, we know that God's in charge of the timer, right? God keeps us in our trials just long enough. Not too short, not too long. Second question he asks is, why, Lord? Why? Why do you make me to see this? Why aren't you doing something? Why? Again, this can come across, if we're not careful, as a very irreverent question. We're not comfortable praying these kinds of things. Some of that discomfort is, you know, you better be, I guess it would be better to be more guarded than just to be haphazard and to treat God in an, or speak to God in an irreverent way. But that's not what's happening here. Um, in Psalm 22, which is what Christ is quoting on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about this. What theological reality might move a person to ask God why? What theological reality might move someone to ask why? When you are struggling in your heart, with a very heavy burden that you just cannot be comforted over. Do you ever think to ask the person in the drive-thru at McDonald's why? That's not anything against the people at the drive-thru. I'm glad they're there. But that's probably not where you're taking your deepest questions. Theological assumption behind the question why is, Lord, you are sovereign. I know you're sovereign. I know that you're in control of this circumstance. I know that you even have a good purpose in this circumstance. I just can't figure out what it is. And so why? Why? It's the belief in the sovereignty of God, the fact that God's sovereign hand is involved in every sparrow that falls, in every moment, that takes place in every circumstance that comes into your life, it must work its way through the wise, good, sovereign hands of God. Now, this is a doctrine that people can struggle with and particularly struggle with as it relates to tragedy. And some of that you can understand. It's difficult for people that don't already have this kind of a theological category in their head to start thinking about that over the loss of a child or the loss of a loved one. 
But the truth is, Scripture is crystal clear here that God is completely sovereign over history and all human affairs. He is either causing or allowing everything that's going on. And he could overturn anything he wanted to whenever he wanted to. So we take the book of Job, for example. While there are some people that would argue against God's sovereignty in the book of Job, I would argue that every single person in the book of Job knows that God is sovereign. Okay? Everyone knows in the book of Job that God is the sovereign cause behind Job's calamity. God knows it, Job 1.8. He doesn't try to hide that. Satan knows it. He doesn't try to hide that. Job's messenger knows it. What does he say? Mother Nature sent a fire from the sky? No, God did. Job knows it, Job's wife knows it, and the writer of the book of Job knows it. And so if we're living in fellowship and in relationship with a sovereign God, and we're seeking to make sense out of confusion, a shattered heart, a broken society, Fill in the blank with whatever else you have. It makes sense to ask a sovereign God why when we don't know. What else? What else must you believe theologically? Well, as far as Habakkuk is concerned, you've got to believe in God's justice, don't you? Will the judge of all the earth not do that which is right? Genesis 18.25 And so we see things at times, we experience things at times that seem to be incongruent with what we understand God to be. Sometimes that's because our understanding is not what it needs to be as far as of the character of God. At other times, it's our understanding of our circumstances and what it is that's actually happening. But a belief in God's justice. Third, now again, we're talking here about how we see Habakkuk's faith being expressed in this difficulty. And I know you're thinking, get to the part about soaring like an eagle. Okay? But we're not there yet. Okay? We're not there yet. And the fact is, as you go through trials, many times you will limp through those trials. And sometimes people will have to drag you through those trials. And it'll probably be a little while before you're soaring through trials. Okay? So at this point, the expression of faith that says, God, how long? God, why? Not only is it a belief in God's sovereignty, not only is it faith in God's justice, but it's a belief that God hears us when we cry. Isn't that something? Who do you talk to when things go bad? Who do you talk to? in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your calamities. You find someone who's crying out to the Lord. I don't care how frail they are. I don't care how weak they feel. You find someone who is expressing faith 
in the midst of a difficulty. What do you do? You know, you, you, when you look in the Psalms, it's very often God is, is portrayed as the God who hears, the God who hears our cry, the God whose ear is open, the God who inclines His ear. Well, what do you do with a God who hears? You speak, right? You speak, simple enough. Faith speaks to the Lord. Faith draws near to the Lord in very simple ways in our times of difficulty. Look in Psalm 34, and we're about to wrap it up here in a minute. Psalm 34. Says the eyes of the Lord are upon I'm sorry, Psalm thirty four, verse fifteen. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. What a comfort in times of utter confusion. What a comfort in times of helplessness. The Lord's ears are open. When you cry, when you call out to Him, He's actually listening. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we can think that a strong faith is what they make the movies out of. Right? But you realize movies have to sell tickets, so they've got to do something with it. But fundamentally, a strong faith is a faith that continues to pursue and cry out to God. And so we speak the things, we're invited to speak the things that are on our hearts. So the question why, theological assumptions, God's sovereign, God's just, God hears, and then lastly, He cares. He cares. Who do you take your burdens to? Humanly speaking, who do you take your burdens to? Who is it that you can be vulnerable with? Who is it that you can share your heart with? I don't know anything about the person. I don't even know who they are, but I know this. You believe they care about you or you'd never do it. And as Habakkuk comes to God, and as the psalmists come to God, and as the saints throughout history come to God in lament, bringing their complaint, pouring their heart out, it's because they believe He cares. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Casting all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Right? If we were to bring out some of those words, really it's casting all your anxieties on Him because He's concerned over you. Think about that, parents. Think about the kind of concern we have over our children. We're watching when they don't know we're watching. We're, we're giving things before they know they need them. We're thinking ahead, planning ahead. Why? Because we're concerned. They're our children. God says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father, which is in heaven. Think about the kind of concern, the kind of care, the kind of love. There are times where we can believe that God is against us, 
Many of you know this, maybe you may, you, may, you may not, but over the years, one of the areas of ministry that the Lord has blessed me to be able to labor in is biblical counseling. And one of the things that happens very, very regularly whenever someone comes in who's been struggling with um, a, a severe trial, very common question, probably asked more than any other question, is, do you think God's mad at me? Is God, is God mad at me? Is that why this happened? Now, God can chastise us over things, that's for sure. But you know, I love to take those people to Romans 8.31 and read, If God is for us, who can be against us? Are you in Christ? If you are, God's for you. God's for you. He's concerned about you, He's for you, and He's using your circumstances for your good and for His glory. And He invites us in our times of despair, He invites us in our times of struggle to cry out because He loves us, because He cares for us, because He's redeeming us. Trusting God when life doesn't make sense.